Good morning, everybody. Welcome to episode three of the XRP podcast. Again, my name is James Herbie. I'm your host for this episode. Um, <clears throat> again, if you would like to uh, follow us on social media, you can connect with us on Twitter at PodcastXRP. You can also connect to us via email at PodcastXRP at gmail.com. I'd like to thank all of the uh, listeners and uh, subscribers who have uh, sent in very kind words about our podcast. Um, I want to uh, just take a moment to, again, thank everybody for taking the time to, to uh, listen and, and better educate yourself um, about XRP and the uh, ecosystem it's currently developing. Um, today we are going to talk about uh, two major software products that Ripple offers, and they are XCurrent and XRapid. We're going to discuss what they are, what use case they are, and uh, what problem they are designed to solve. We will also talk a little bit about RippleNet, what that is, and um, provide a little more detail about how the network of Ripple's partners is set up to use their software products. So with that, we're just going to go ahead and, and hop right in, and I hope you enjoy the listen. So let's go ahead and uh, move forward. To start, it would be helpful to take a, a little bit of time to explain to some of our listeners who do not have a background in finance or in banking to give a better idea about how cross-border or international payments are processed uh, for the most part in our um, current banking system. Now, if you hear me use the term legacy system, if you're not familiar with that term legacy, that means a system that's older, uh, that's either being modified or replaced. And in many instances, what we're going to see is that the software and the technology from Ripple is designed to do both. There will be some uh, network systems, some ledgers that Ripple's software may be a complement as sort of an update. We also will have instances where um, the Ripple products will be a brand new system. And a lot of times you're going to hear uh, reference to a banking system called SWIFT. If you're not familiar with what SWIFT is, SWIFT is the current uh, messaging system used by banks to uh, process payments, international and and some others, that um, has been in use since the 1970s. And the SWIFT system is basically just a messaging system. Uh, a little, a quick example. Let's say that you are uh, you bank with Bank of America here in the United States, and you want to send um, money to your relative in. Uh, Quebec, who banks with Royal Bank of Canada or, or RBC. All right, so if you want to send money from here to your relative in Canada, your originating bank, which in this case is Bank of America, they send a message with what are called settlement instructions, which are basically the terms of the money that you're sending over. Like, you know, I'm sending 1,000 US dollars to relative in Canada. Now, that message is sent over the SWIFT system, and it goes through a uh, what's called a correspondent, which is basically kind of like a translator or a middleman between your bank and, in this case, your relative's bank in Canada or the uh, RBC. So what happens is that your, your uh, transaction, when it starts at Bank of America, it's sent in the form of a message <clears throat> over the SWIFT system, and it's received at your relative's bank in Canada typically in about one to two business days. 
the reason for that is that the um, the SWIFT network still involves a lot of uh, delay time in terms of confirming the terms of the transaction. They call them, again, the settlement instructions. Uh, and the process requires the beneficiary bank, which in this, in this case is the Royal Bank of Canada, the bank that you're that's receiving the money, they also have to send back a second message over SWIFT to confirm the transaction back to Bank of America. So in this example, and it's getting a little wordy here, but the main thing to take away is that over SWIFT to process an international transaction, your uh, transaction has to start at your bank, go through the banking messaging system, be received by the, um, the, the international bank, and then sent back. These, proce- these transactions, the process typically right now takes about two to four, even five business days. Um, the problem with that is that there's really no control over the tracking or the status of the transaction. Um, also, there, a lot of times you have some uncertain fees because you're not entirely sure how, uh, how long that transaction might be taking place. These are, a lot of these are um, variables that can fall outside of our control and kind of show in a world that we're in now how technology is becoming more wireless, and that goes with that. We've talked briefly now about the process of taking a, an international transaction in current legacy systems uh, over SWIFT. I want to take a moment now to talk about another um, concept, financial concept, that is uh, very common today. Uh, when we're talking about international uh, finance and uh, payment transactions, and that is what's called Nostro-Vostro accounts. Nostro-Vostro. This is a very important concept because it ties into XRapid, which is um, one of Ripple's flagship software pro- uh, products. And you really can't understand the problem that XRapid is aimed to fix without understanding Nostro-Vostro accounts. Uh, Nostro-Vostro is uh, Latin words that mean uh, yours and ours. And basically, this is what a Nostro-Vostro account is. Let's go back to our uh, example before involving Bank of America and the Royal Bank of Canada, RBC. Now, when... Uh, money is sent internationally between those two banks at the moment. They have an existing relationship where they have done business together in the past. But in the current method of doing international transactions, each bank is required to keep on deposit at the other bank money. Um, the amounts that each bank keeps on reserve at each other's location really depends on the agreement between the banks, but it's generally a percentage of the total volume that the two banks transact in. So let's say that, uh, you know, World Bank of Canada and Bank of America do $10 million of international transactions between each other in a month. Well, they may have an agreement that requires them to keep, you know, a percentage of that amount in reserve on deposit at each bank. 
that setup is designed to always make sure that all transactions are paid off. So in as a system for maybe you know 20, 30, 40 years ago before we had uh, wireless and instantaneous technology, that would have been okay. But let's I want to take a moment so that we understand what the problems are with that way of coding. So we can see that the current way of doing <clears throat> these international transactions requires these pre-funded relationships between uh, banks uh, doing business across borders. So there's a few problems that you can see with uh, the current setup. Uh, number one are the cost to keep accounts at all the banks you're doing transactions with internationally. Uh, going along with that, piggybacking that, you also have to worry about um, honoring all compliance requirements that you're going to have in each of the jurisdictions that you're doing uh, business in. So there's a, uh, a definitely a, a cost in manpower and uh, legal work to make sure that uh, those are all being abided by. Uh, you also have the problem of just having trapped money. Uh, a lot of times you'll see the term trapped capital. You know, all that money that's sitting in these reserve accounts at uh, you know, lending institutions and, and banks, you know, that's a very significant amount of money that, you know, the, the conservative estimate is that that's in the trillions of dollars. Um, you know, that's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines really just because it is a safety net for international payments. Um, and then a lot of times you don't have the traffic over that type of technology also, which causes delays in speed and processing. Let's talk a little bit about RippleNet, uh, what that is and what it is designed to do um, as we're kind of getting in now into more of the, the formal products from Ripple and talking more about the ecosystem. We need to talk about uh, you know, the main components of that. RippleNet is the network that is used uh, for all financial institutions that use Ripple's products. So if you use anything like XCurrent, XRapid, or any of the other uh, software items that Ripple offers in its suite of products, when you connect to their software, you are uh, connecting to RippleNet. That is the network of all the financial institutions, all the entities that use uh, Ripple software products. Now, when we're talking about uh, the structure of RippleNet, it's important to remember that every bank that is connecting to RippleNet maintains their own ledgers. They maintain their own databases. They maintain their own data privacy. It's only by connecting into the RippleNet network that banks are um, making that connection between their information and the Ripple network. So, you know, we've talked about ledgers. If you forget what a ledger is, a ledger is basically just an online or an electronic record of all transactions in a bank. So every bank, uh, you know, has their own ledger. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, pick any large uh, financial institution. They will have their own internal financial structure that logs transactions and things like that. Now, RippleNet 
is we said it's one network for all banks to be able to tap into to conduct transactions using X Current and X Rapid. So the question becomes, well, how does RippleNet deal with all of these different networks that each individual bank brings to their connection? And the answer to that is what's called interledger, I-N-T-E-R ledger, interledger. Now, interledger is a, a very important concept to understand. Interledger is a ledger that um, allows all types of existing enterprise and uh, public ledgers to connect and coordinate data with each other. Uh, I'm not going to get into the, the, the tech is way above my head, but the concept is important to understand that by having the ability to connect any uh, new or legacy network at a bank, what Interledger does is it serves as the, uh, the translator, the intermediary for all of these standalone banks to communicate with each other over RippleNet. So the network structure itself is called RippleNet, but underlying the technology and the, uh, the product that allows each bank to communicate with each other is called Interledger. And again, um, you know, it's important to understand that each bank maintains their own data, their own privacy, their own ledgers, but it's through their connecting into RippleNet through the Ripple software that they obviously have um, you know, access to. That's how banks communicate with each other. Okay, so that's when we talk about interledger. That's what that uh, that's what that does. So let's move on now and talk a little bit about uh, X Current. Now that we're discussing X Current, I'm going to again refer back to the uh, example I used earlier in this episode. We were talking about um, international banking transactions between Bank of America and Royal Bank of Canada. I'm just going to use those two as our example banks while we're talking about um, X-Current here in, in this segment. So remember that in um, we're talking about the process of sending a transaction internationally across borders from Bank of America to Royal Bank of Canada. It was um, a very slow process. We talked about the reason for that is that number one, is that we're using a messaging system that is only one direction. That means uh, a transaction starts with our originating bank, Bank of America. It goes through a processor, goes over to Royal Bank of Canada for settlement. And then you need to go back from um, Royal Bank of Canada needs to send the confirmation back to B of A for that transaction to be uh, completed. Again, it's a uh, very time-consuming process. The reason is you can never really tell what are the hours of business operation where your bank might be open. Uh, there's a lot of uh, problems as far as uh, not just the speed um, or lack of, but it's inefficient. We talked about uh, problems with not being able to track payments sometimes. Um, so XCurrent is designed to take care of that concern. So what does it do? So XCurrent is a software that allows the two banks to settle their transactions in real time. 
So, you know, X current is a, uh, you know, financial, uh, uh, conversion, uh, software product. So it is tracking, uh, payments and conversion rates, uh, 24 seven. So you don't have to worry about, uh, things, you know, you know, older ways of doing business, like, uh, you know, business hours and, uh, overnights and things like that. You know, you, we're, we're in a, a 24 seven, 365 global economy now. And X current is a software product that allows, um, you know, international transactions between fiat currencies to be done in real time. So the only requirements to be able to do a transaction using X current is that each bank, both uh, the sending and the receiving bank, need to uh, be a member member of RippleNet and a um, you know a client of Ripple's as far as using the X current uh, software. And what it allows you to do now is the banks can now send um, transaction uh, instructions across X current bi-directionally. That means that you don't have to have you know one side confirm before the other. Each side, because you're, we're talking real-time transactions, you already know what the terms of and the cost of your transactions are before you initiate it. That's uh, one key difference between uh, legacy transactions and ex-current transactions. It also reduces a lot of cost because um, you have uh, better tracking, you have transparency to be able to track payments and the status of payments, and you don't have to worry about uh, going back and dealing with, um, with error resolution, which uh, SWIFT right now has an error rate of about 5 or 6%. You know, that's crazy. That means out of every 20 transactions, there's one that has to be uh, reviewed and uh, rehabbed. You know, that's an error rate that can't survive in, uh, you know, in, in modern technology. So when we're talking about uh, X current, okay, it is a replacement or it's designed to be a replacement for the Swift messaging system. Okay, we talked about Swift. Okay, so X current is designed to take over the functions of Swift. It is still a messaging system, but the, pro the, the, the features of it are that are really threefold. One, it's bi-directional with pre-determined uh, settlement instructions. That means that both parties know the terms of each transaction uh, before they even initiate it. So that's one. Two is the speed. Uh, we don't have to worry about business hours or anything else like that anymore. We don't have to worry about, you know, two to four business days. We settle our payments in real time. And the third is a lower cost. Uh, by having a, a uh, much higher um, certainty rate uh, in terms of confirmed transactions, the error rate and the resolution costs that come with doing business over the SWIFT network are eliminated. So you can see a lot of the benefits um, in using uh, XCurrent. Okay, let's circle back for a few minutes and uh, wrap up our episode today by talking about XRapid and what it's designed to do. We talked earlier in this episode about Nostro Vostro accounts. If you recall, these are the accounts that banks put on deposit at their international cross-border banking partners. And these are designed to keep some monies uh, available to make sure that transactions are settled in the proper way. So the the 
use case for XRapid is to instantaneously settle cross-border international fiat transactions. So a, an example transaction would be, let's say we are here at, uh, in the United States and we go to our local bank or we use our local U.S. bank to send money to Mexico. So what we would do is using XRapid, we, our bank would purchase XRP from the preferred uh, exchange used within the Ripple ecosystem. Here in the United States, uh, I know Bittrex is one that is uh, currently uh, in the XRapid um, ecosystem. So our bank would use Bittrex to buy XRP. Then our exchange sends that XRP to another exchange used by the recipient bank. Uh, it could be Bittrex or Binance or another exchange that's out there. And then the recipient's exchange instantaneously converts that same XRP into their local fiat currency. This eliminates the need for um, uh, the messaging. The, uh, the, the one-way messaging system in the current system is, uh, is replaced. It also allows for uh, each bank to no longer have to keep in reserve these Nostro Vostro accounts. So it, it frees up a lot of money for other investment and um, transaction types. So in addition to freeing up this capital that's on deposit all these banks, XRapid also speeds up the process to settle uh, cross-border transactions. The average time for an XRapid transaction is uh, two to three minutes versus the two to three or four business days that the current SWIFT system uh, requires you to do. So XRapid, again, is it's designed to eliminate Nostra Vostra accounts and speed up the time. And as long as you have an account uh, with a bank that works with one of the preferred XRapid exchanges, then these types of transactions can be done anytime. Now, this week was a big milestone because um, the first uh, Ripple partner uh, was a bank called Euro Exim Bank. They were the first bank to go live with XRapid. Uh, so this is a software product that now is live and is currently uh, gaining a foothold in um, the banking industry. So you will see um, XRapid a lot in news and uh, press releases, but this is the key uh, software product, the key tool to add liquidity and value to the XRP token itself. Without XRapid, I don't think you would ever see uh, a large um, utility increase like you will once some of the Ripple partners are actively using XRapid in all their uh, cross-border transactions. So we're just going to go ahead and, and use that as, a, as our wrapping up point today for episode three. Um, again, we just for a quick review, we talked about RippleNet, what that is and uh, how it's structured. We talked about uh, XCurrent and the Swift messaging system and how XCurrent is designed to uh, replace that. And then we talked about XRapid and Nostro Vostro accounts, uh, how XRapid is designed to eliminate the uh, deposit requirements that banks do cross borders and to uh, speed up cross-border transactions into um, instantaneous real-time. So again, I'd like to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, this was episode three of the XRP podcast. 
Again, if you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at PodcastXRP, or you can also do so through email at PodcastXRP at gmail.com. If you have a question that you'd like to uh, have us discuss here on the XRP podcast, please do so. And uh, next time we will um, be talking about uh, Ripple's uh, financial partners and looking at some of the banks that are actually uh, piloting and leading the way in terms of Ripple's products uh, achieving adoption and utility. So thanks again for listening. This is James Herbie for the XRP Podcast. We will see you next time.